ABC's a Greek. Oh, the ABC's a Greek. The ABC's a Greek. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the ABCs of Greek. I'm Thomas. I'm Erin. And I'm Jacqueline. And this is a podcast where we recap the ABC Family original series Greek episode by episode. Today we're joined by Allison Herman, staff writer at The Ringer. Allison is a culture and television writer and has written some amazing profiles of notorious television shows and movies, old and new. Allison wrote a piece last year that was called... 10 years later, Greek remains TV's gold standard for the college experience, where she talked to the cast and the minds behind Greek to discuss how this show still holds up today and continues to be one of the best representations of college life on television. So we're excited to talk to you today. Um, We wanted to start just a little bit about your background and maybe how you got into culture and television and film writing. It's sort of an odd experience in that I feel like I essentially started to do it around the same time I realized it was a thing people did for their jobs. Um, But essentially, I was lucky enough to go to college in New York City. And when I started college, I knew I wanted to do something in the journalism and media nonfiction space. But even though I independently, you know, watched and paid attention to TV and I went to college around the same time the TV was really blowing up as a site of conversation and artistic progress and the culture. Um, I wasn't really conscious of arts criticism or media. And then around the same time, I both landed a internship at a site called Flavorwire that's now defunct, but is ultimately where I kind of got my start in my career. And around the same time, I read uh, Chuck Klosterman's Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, which I will never forget. There's an essay in it where he talks about the TV show Friends and how, um, you know, people kind of looked TV shows to kind of model for them what other people's lives are like, especially in a time before um, we kind of use social media for that same purpose. And I remember just kind of having a light bulb go off of like, oh, I think about this kind of thing when I'm, you know, watching media. I didn't realize you could like write it down and there would be an audience for that. Um, But when I was at Flavorwire, that was really when I got my start doing this for a public audience. And the editor-in-chief at the time, Judy Berman, um, was generous enough to let me recap Game of Thrones, which is, you know, a small TV show with a a very loud and engaged niche audience. So um, (laughs) being involved with that around the same time that, you know, Game of Thrones was like the conversation-driving TV show really helped get my start in that field. And that's really how I began to do this as my career. Yeah, that makes sense. I do have to ask, where did your Twitter name come from? Your Twitter handle, it's 2006. Is the the year significant to like TV or am I just like making that up? (laughs) It is significant because that is the year I joined AIM. And (laughs) I was very uncreative at the time. So I just gave my uh, name and then the year. And then with every passing year, it has gained like an additional patina of irony. And I just find (laughs) it funny. So it's my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram handle. It was my Tumblr when I was actively posting on Tumblr a million years ago. Um, Yeah, it's all, it's just 
uh, it stuck around and my, my kind of boringness and coming up with a screen name as a teen uh, really worked in my favor over time. <laughs> I love it. So funny. Yeah. Now it's like, it feels like a hidden message or something. I was like, 2006. uh, Is that some like great year for television or like something I'm missing? I mean, it Uh, was. was, It was. Yeah. Greek was was still on. Yes. Greek was about to come on. Lots of stuff Mm -hmm. going on. We all three like watched Greek at a different time in our lives. So I watched it while it was airing and I have not watched it since. So every time we recap an episode, it's the first time I've watched it since it came out and Jacqueline watched it all during the pandemic and then Thomas watched it a few years earlier while he was abroad um so it's like we're all kind of coming at it from a slightly different lens um when was the first time that you watched Creek I remember watching it when it was on like I think I was in high school at the time and I definitely you know this is something that came up in the story I wrote about it but I cannot remember if I watched it on iTunes or Hulu when Hulu was like really early and that was like the broadcast networks trying to get ahead of streaming so there was a lot of kind of network adjacent shows like then ABC Family that was available to watch there and now now it's currently on Hulu again but um I definitely remember I did not watch it like on linear television and this being the odds, this was like right around the time that that was even just starting to be possible. And I did not really go back to it in the intervening years. But when I kind of saw that the 10 year anniversary was coming up, I was like, oh, I remember, you know, kind of forming an attachment to it at that age. And then once I started talking to people who were involved in producing and promoting it, I found out that my experience of coming to it, maybe not through a traditional at the time way of watching TV was actually quite common and very distinct from other TV shows at the time. You talk a little bit about how it was able to differentiate itself from Kyle XY and the secret life of the American teenager, which were sort of uh, its contemporaries on the ABC family. Um, what do you think made it different from those types of shows that the network was producing at the time? Yeah, I mean, something I, I talk about that's kind of the premise of the whole piece is like, it's very uncommon to have a successful show that is set in college. Like to me, when I think of a college TV show, I think of college as kind of the place where high school shows go to die. Like it's like mm-hmm. your characters are too old. You don't want to just pull the skins and recycle it. Um, okay, we're just going to send them to like, you know, UC Sunnydale on Buffy or, you know, Columbia on Gossip Girl, which they could not use because they'd already shot at Columbia and called a Yale. Like um, <laughs> it didn't, it doesn't really work as well as a college setting and even other shows. I think Felicity is kind of the, as I mentioned in the piece, the exception that proves the rule, but like Undeclared didn't really work out. The Judd Apatow comedy mm. And something Greek really nailed that I think no other show has in like a similar way since, um, although Grownish is kind of trying, is that it's about college and uses a college setting to a really effective extent in a way that like resonated for, I was not in college when I was watching it, but it was kind of a fun way to explore what that would be like or like think about what that would be like. And I think, you know, Secret Life of the American Teenager obviously dealt with like very specific themes, but ultimately it was like a high school show about a teenager and Kyle XY, God love it. But, you know, it was like a genre show and both of those shows are kind of 
um, solid examples of their genres, but I feel like Greek is really unusual in that like it's kind of a one of one or maybe like one of two or three in this very small field. No, totally. totally. And like, we've kind of talked about that too. Like what the show, I guess, allowed its characters to do because I think a lot of shows try to hold their characters back from growing up because it's like, it kind of can ruin the show, but then they ruin the show by not letting them. So there's never any like growth with the characters. They don't change over time or they just kind of, it ends up becoming kind of weird. And there's like that jumping the shark moment. I mean, speaking of grownish, I think like I watched like the first season of that, loved it, went back to it. And I think it just kind of loses its way at some point. But what we've talked about with this show is that it doesn't seem to hit that point where the, like they're trying to mix it up so much that like, they lose, you know, the core of the show or the characters don't grow into fully formed, you know, people. But how do you think that they were able to kind of keep with this college narrative, but allowed the characters to grow into adults by the end? You know, I can't quite answer that in the way that the, the writers would necessarily be able to. Right. But I do think one of the things that works about a college setting is that there is just a tremendous amount of growth that can happen in that space. Like you literally, in some cases, go into college as a actual legal child. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're just barely out of it. And then when you leave, you're like a person who, you know, legally can vote and drink and all that stuff but also you have started to maybe figure out what you want to do with your life professionally maybe you've had your first real like adult romantic relationship that's not like are they going to ask me to the prom you've had to figure out how to like live as an independent adult and there's so much capacity in there for maturing and in a way that feels you know you also don't have actors who are like 25 playing 18 you have actors who are 25 playing 22 which is a little less of a a timely but there's just so much that happens within college that even as I understand why it is a difficult setting for other tv shows to work with or start with I also understand why Greek was able to do so much with that concept yeah totally it seems like they really ended up mining like actual experiences instead of trying to like formulate new ones that wouldn't exist in that in that uh, setting. Yeah, and you don't have to like invent a lot of drama. I feel like it's just inherently yeah. dramatic, and you don't have to artificially inflate the stakes. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's something that we talked about even with the pilot, like the idea that it's this fight over whether or not Casey should stay with Evan because he cheated on her, like it's not that dramatic. Like a lot of the things that happen aren't that dramatic, but the characters I think in being so young already and kind of in that phase of their life to begin with when they were filming it were inherently more dramatic. So it kind of like brings that realism to it in a way. I mean, obviously there are some plot points that are a little bit out there, but I think overall, like when you, when we're breaking it down sometimes, I'm like, why are they upset about this? But they're really able to play into High it. stakes. Exactly. <laughs> um, kind of in that same vein of like how it made like the college experience like accessible. What do you think in like, do you have any thoughts on how Greek was able to win people over with, in terms of like Greek life and people who had nothing to do with like sororities and fraternities, but it was still able to reach the audience beyond that? 
Yeah. I mean, something I, I talked about in the piece is the creator was not a member of Greek life himself. Um, he mentions, you know, the kind of character of Calvin is maybe who he identifies with the most because he was like, I was like a queer guy who was like not fully out yet. Like the idea of just being in a homosocial environment like that was terrifying. But UT has a really robust Greek system and he existed adjacent to it. And something he mentioned was that the, um, the balance of the writer's room was about half and half, which meant it's a really good way to have, you know, an informed perspective of people who were part of Greek life, but also that kind of skepticism of someone who maybe didn't choose that for themselves. And, you know, I can speak personally, I did not go to a college with a very robust Greek presence. Like the closest to it was, I had some friends who were in like a co-ed hipster literary society, like that was kind of the closest I got. And I never personally considered pledging Greek. And yet there was so much in the show that I related to in part because it has a real sense of humor about Greek life. Like it very much engages with the stereotype of like the slacker slob frat guy, the preppy douchebag frat guy, the uptight sorority sister, the sloppy sorority sister. Like all of those things are all of those tropes are things that simultaneously like acknowledges and have fun has fun with and also makes richer by developing the characters who maybe fit those stereotypes and you first meet them so i think it really does a great job of having a sense of humor about itself that kind of invites you to laugh along with it and doesn't think like it's not propaganda for the greek system at all it's not trying to pretend the greek system is perfect although in some ways it did kind of like model a more inclusive model of the, of the Greek experience than really exists at a lot of universities. But yeah, I think it just really um, hit that balance of skepticism and being able to laugh at itself while also taking its characters really seriously and um, coming from a place of knowledge, not just cynicism. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I was a theater kid in college and I was not part of Greek life, yet I watched it while I was in college and felt like this weird connection to it. And I think a lot of that was because of the characters. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Whereas Jacqueline and Aaron actually were uh, pre-Greek, but, post-Greek life survivors. But I watched it while I was in seventh grade. So <laughs> <laughs> Not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. So in the piece, you talked to a lot of the cast and the writers. What was your biggest takeaway after like having those conversations? I mean, it was funny the extent to which, you know, for me, I obviously remembered it and um, had fond memories of it. But the extent to which people who were involved with it talked about how it was this positive formative experience for them, even though in a lot of cases they've done other major things in their careers. I mean, certainly a lot of the cast were literally the age of college students when they were doing the show that went on for like about four or five years. So um, I know uh, Scott Michael Foster, who obviously plays Cappy, you know, made a joke about it was basically like college, except I got paid to do it instead of getting stuck in debt, which is great. And even, you know, the writers were saying, like, I think about it all the time. We still we have like this annual holiday get together that we do. It was really amazing just like how positively everyone felt about it, which, you know, for all I know, someone could be lying, but it really seemed very sincere and it just jumped out at me, like how warmly people talked about it, especially given, you know, it's entertainment, things can get chaotic. There's not always like bad, you know, there's not always like great feelings between everyone who was involved in collaborating at such close quarters for such a long time. And yet 
everyone really seemed to look back fondly on it and and take away good memories from it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you say that. And I mean, I'm just thinking out loud, but I do wonder how much of that has to do with, you know, this show, I feel like, while it obviously got some things that like don't age very well, you know, there were parts of the show that were really progressive and ahead of its time for especially something set in a Greek life setting on a college campus. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't think that when I hear of a show shot in 2007, that it was such an inclusive, like great environment to work in with a bunch of co-eds, but it's interesting that you say that. And I wonder if there's any, you know, connection between that. Yeah, something that was actually kind of surprising to me that I discovered in the course of reporting it was that that kind of came from the network, which is, you know, not always what you hear about television networks when it comes to pushing for inclusion and representation. But they were saying um, ABC Family obviously is part of the same extended corporate family as ABC Proper. Uh, ABC is the home of Shonda, or was the home of Shonda Rhimes. And Grey's Anatomy had just kind of come on the air and was super pathbreaking in the extent to which you had, you know, an Asian lead in Sandra Oh and plenty of um, Black members of the regular cast and plenty of, you know, whatever underrepresented group you can think of, Grey's Anatomy has kind of incorporated into its main storyline. And so coming out of that, the pilot of Greek apparently was initially written and conceived as kind of a more traditional Greek life. Like I actually spent a summer in high school living at a sorority house at the University of Texas. And I remember like my friends and I, cause we were all in the same summer program. We used to be like playing game that we called like spot the minority where we would just like look at the big <laughs> class photos and be like, is there anyone on here? It was not like who appears to be maybe not white. And it was always very difficult. And so the traditional Greek system, you know, for reasons that don't always have to do with exclusion on the part of traditionally white sororities, it also means that there are a lot of traditionally Black and Asian and Latino Greek life groups that maybe their members feel more included going there than they do opting for a traditionally white group. But for various reasons, a lot of Greek life is not necessarily what you would call um, integrated or diverse. And it was really interesting that apparently ABC family kind of saw that and were like, we understand this may be accurate to your experience as someone who went to one of the schools, but we just cannot do this. Like this just cannot be how the show looks. And it's really interesting to hear a network going out of its way to give that note in 2007, when we know in 2022, that's not how all executives think still. And I think the way that manifested on the show feels very organic and also contributes to the fact that I think it it holds up really well. Like you can go back and watch it and not everything totally holds up, but like a shocking percentage of it. Yeah. I wonder if that had like a tangible effect because we've seen a lot of people say like, oh my gosh, this show is the reason why I joined Greek life. And I wonder if it's significant at all, like any, a different type of audience, like engaging in Greek life, it it would be interesting to see if like that. It's like an idealized version of what, you know, it could have been or could be. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think apparently a version of the show kind of could have gone this way. I was told like an early version of the pilot maybe included like a sort of murder mystery element, but 
it would be very easy to make a show about Greek life that would be like a pitch black drama <laughs> on like HBO that includes yeah. all kinds of murder and mayhem and everything. And that would also be probably a pretty reasonably accurate <laughs> representation of what some experiences of Greek life are like. And I definitely think Greek, again, while not being like unaware of the fault flaws in that system is definitely like, we're going to make this seem largely pleasant and fun yes yeah, sunny just like ohio right <laughs> cypress uh, roads <laughs> cypress roads always sunny in cypress roads but yeah that's what you were saying earlier i think that the show is really good at being like tongue-in-cheek like they they'll have like little you know quips about like bigger issues but it does feel like they're self-aware in a way that like a lot of shows aren't a lot of shows set in college aren't and then a lot of shows in 2007 absolutely were not like it just never took itself that seriously and I think that that adds to it kind of being watchable still that leads into just like our other question which we've kind of talked about a little bit but do you think that they could have created this show in 2022 like do you think that it would survive now if they were to make it? Is there like even an audience for that? I mean, I'm sure the version of it that gets made in 2022 is probably for a streaming service. It's probably like 10 episodes a season. It's probably, you know, cast like Jacob Elordi or somebody like one of those (laughs) like homegrown like Netflix teen heartthrobs. Yeah, like I'm sure like a version of that show, again, Grownish is like on the same like a a renamed version of the same network and then that's kind of like okay what if you tried to do this through a more like aggressively contemporary lens but yeah I think part of what stood out for Greek is that instead of feeling like the end of an era it feels like the beginning of one like in terms of the diversity of the cast in terms Mm -hmm. of like how people came to watch it like yeah um how many people came to it through like itunes and hulu and netflix instead of seeing it for the first time like live on abc family in a way that like a nielsen ratings box would pick up yeah i think like it part of the reason it does hold up is that you know it does feel like a lot of contemporary tv shows yeah yeah do you think so in your piece you know you love me gossip girl between ya explosion of the 2000s you talk about how gossip girl and pretty little liars were the response to the success of like a sex in the city and desperate housewives so do you think there is a show that was kind of like walked so that greek could run or do you think greek is the show that walked so other shows could run in this type of show it's an interesting question because um I think there are lots of like teen shows that you can see their DNA in Greek um I think the creator wrote on I believe it was like Everwood um like Dawson's Creek like all the all that kind of like WB era Gilmore Girls in terms of being like brainy and reference heavy like that whole WB era came right before Greek and in fact like one of the executives Kate Jurgens, who helped bring Greek into the world like came directly from the WB and was charged with like hey can you basically like make ABC family a teen hub the way that the WB was so I think like that certainly works as like immediate predecessors especially because like TV is a very follower not a leader type of industry like people don't really like to give things the green light unless they feel like it's you know there's like some other success that they can look to but in terms of what happened afterward I think you can definitely see it and like the standards for 
diversity and inclusion that you just see everywhere. Um, I think you can see it in terms of like taking teens and young adults seriously. But, you know, as I say in the piece, like I still think it really stands out as like there's not a lot of college shows and it's one of, it really stands out as being the show that figured out how to make that work and make it accessible to a wider audience. Mm, Definitely. Yeah. And we, on our podcast, we talk a little bit about how there are certain plot points and storylines on Greek that are similar to the sex lives of college girls, which I believe is currently on HBO Max. I mean, I know that's a show that kind of, it's like has a similar energy in a way that it is kind of doing, you know, the college TV show. And I feel like they're doing it, you know, pretty well. Would you say there are any other shows on today that would equate to Greek? First of all, I am, that was a huge oversight on my part. Sex Lives of College Girls is totally, totally, totally in that wheelhouse. Although it is like almost obnoxiously, like very clearly, like it's an Ivy League school. It's yeah. about, I mean, in the way that like Greek is also about kind of an alienating minority within the larger college experience, Sex Lives of College Girls is even more so like, we're going to make inside jokes about like the Harvard lampoon and we're just going to expect you to understand what we talk about. But yeah, I mean, Sex Lives of College Girls definitely represents an evolution in that, like, because it is on a streaming service and not on a network that is selling ads, it can put sex in the title and, like, have a lot of its plot lines be about that. And in a way, I mean, it's a very, very different show in a lot of ways, but the kind of tongue-in-cheekness of Greek I definitely see in Riverdale, which is Mm. another show that has a queer creator that I feel like kind of comes at this like very all-American setting with both like a sincere enthusiasm and an outsider's eye for this is kind of inherently a little ridiculous and Riverdale obviously ratchets up the camp like 10 million percent but I see kind of a similar approach. (laughs) The gargoyle king comes to Cypress Roads. (laughs) Every, I stopped, I tapped out of Riverdale after like season three. And every time I see an update, that's like, everyone has superpowers now. Yeah. Yeah. The parallel like, universe. I crazy. can't believe you made it to season three. I made it through season one and like four episodes of season two. And I was, like, I was the same way. I couldn't keep going. And my threshold for like crazy television is pretty high, but I was like, this is just, I can't keep up. Um, I went for it. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is interesting that you say that because it is kind of like self-aware in the same way, but yeah, the, it, where Greek never took that like zany turn, you know, Riverdale took a hard left. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that line that gets memed all the time about like, you've never experienced the highs and lows of high school. <laughs> I mean, I always get like really defensive when it circulates because I'm like, guys, like it's supposed to be ironic. That's the yeah. Point. Like, yeah. you're supposed to laugh. Don't exactly. worry. Exactly. Or Cole Sprouse saying he's a weirdo. Just look at me. It's like I'm <laughs> looking at a beautiful boy, like <laughs> dressed like kind of well. Versace model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we've like talked a little bit about, you know, how the show does hold up. But when you were talking to everyone about this piece, like, was there anything notable that stood out to you about what it really gets wrong? And like maybe where, you know, hindsight's 2020 what they would correct today I mean not necessarily what it would correct because I think it's the show's prerogative but I have mentioned I think it is frankly like very possible to have a a much more cynical read on the Greek system like I personally um 
think it is responsible for a lot of unsavory uh trends although in its defense I will say I think that's kind of something that just happens when you give a bunch of 19 year olds authority over each other like I I've witnessed those dynamics in like many settings that are not officially Greek life but yeah like I said I think you know you could certainly argue that the show does idealize and romanticize Greek life but that's its prerogative I think that's okay Mm -hmm. um something I mentioned in the piece is like there's a confederate flag in the pilot that's used much more as like a isn't this funny that like yeah. this really out of touch person from a different part of the country and you see that today and you just like clench it was the first episode we recapped and we were like what are we doing yeah, we're like uh-oh <laughs> yeah like to me also it's not like arguing in the show that the no. confederate flag is like amazing and unproblematic no. it's just like you wouldn't use it in in that way on a tv show in 2022 mm-hmm. and like i'm sure there are lots of moments like that but in terms of the larger perspective and choices it makes, I definitely think it holds up. Yeah, no, that's interesting you say that. They could have probably gone into a little more about what happens when you get, you know, 20 Frannies in a room and they're all making decisions that have actual repercussions. But it, <laughs> I think overall, yeah, it, it does it does hold up more than you would expect. And I think they are trying to make like some like socially conscious points in it as, as a lot of ABC family shows at the time kind of tried to do. <laughs> I think that is something that I do enjoy about it is that it's not preachy or very special episode-y. Like right. there are, obviously there are moments where people like learn lessons that they're going to take in their lives, but it's much less issue oriented than I think like a lot of shows with teenage characters are. Yeah. And I do think it started and more of a after school special place. And as the show went on, even in the first season, it gets less like that. Like we kind of joked as we were recapping, there's a lot of scenes of like Rusty and Casey sitting on a bench, like discussing, you know, the importance of family or whatever, but that kind of fades away as I think the show finds its voice. There's a scene where Jen, Kay, and Rusty are breaking up and it's really melodramatic. And even by that time, it feels like kind of out of place for the show. Like, I feel like it moved really quickly towards not being that like after school special melodrama, like really soon. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I kind of love about TV is that especially like older shows that had many more episodes in which to work out their kinks and also you know didn't have straight to series orders and were kind of writing at the same time that they were producing is that you can kind of watch them evolve in real time and be like this person's working like let's do more of that or like that tone isn't working let's do less of that and yeah it's just fun to watch it like take shape and kind of come into its own and and become the thing you remember it being right totally I mean you just, I mean, even with Jen Kay, like that character on its own was like a totally different thing by five episodes in. And with the 22 episodes, like you just don't watch shows like that anymore. And we don't consume media like that anymore. So, I mean, we just took a break at episode 10. Like usually we would be halfway done with a recap podcast if we were only, you know, doing 10 episodes a show and there was only three seasons or whatever. So it is interesting to see that and watch that evolution. Do you have any favorite episodes or seasons or like plot points? Oh my God. I think just like in terms of characters, I definitely remember um, having a huge crush on Cappy as a kid. 
<laughs> and also um, having like a huge like triple take moment when I was watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, another wonderful show. Oh, and I love that show. Got Michael Foster's in that, but as like literally the polar opposite character, like type A lawyer, whatever. And I just... Yeah. I did not like connect the dots for a really long time and was just like, oh my God. Um, I loved the rehabilitation of Rebecca as a character. Like you just hate her so much for the first few episodes and the way she's really incorporated into the cast and still allowed to be kind of unlikable and (laughs) bitchy, but like is also just allowed to be more of a person than like a threat to Casey's relationship. yeah, I, I feel like those two really um, stand out, but I just have a lot of affection for it as like a very early show in my TV watching life. Like I didn't watch that show with my parents. I watched it by myself and I was not doing a ton of that at that point in my life. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I know. I think even Scott Michael Foster, I think he sings in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but so I also remember watching him in I watched Chasing Life, which I think actually had the same creator as Greek or maybe the same creative team. It was on ABC Family. I I just remember, like this just came into my head, but I think Scott Michael Foster was also the male lead in that show. I mean, that would make sense if like some Greek writer had an overall deal with ABC Family. Yeah. And, you know, you keep in the same way that, you know, all the same like male character actors are all over HBO. Yeah. <laughs> He had ABC family. Um, So as we get to the end of the interview, we're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire. But before we get there, are there any projects you want to plug on the podcast? Well, I did just do a 20 year anniversary piece about my big fat Greek wedding. So feel free to check that out. But otherwise, my my Twitter is aherman2006, as we've discussed. (laughs) And uh, you can find all my work on The Ringer. So uh, check it out if you're if you're curious. Wonderful. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to do a little rapid fire questions. First, Team Cappy, Team Evan. Cappy. It's an easy one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Rebecca or Franny? Rebecca. Omega Chi or Capital? Is it too much of a contrarian take if I say Omega Chi after saying Team Cappy? Okay. I'll go for Omega Chi. They're a different entity. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. Favorite BFF duo, Ashley and Casey or Rusty and Calvin? Ashley and Casey. And Dobblers or the coffee cart? Coffee cart. I'm not really a drinker, so. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, that's everything. Thank you so much again for joining us. This was awesome. This was a great discussion. So, yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This is really fun. We are so excited to have you on. We appreciate yeah. it. Oh my God, anytime. Thank you guys. Thank you all for listening to our episode today. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep bringing on wonderful guests like Allison to the pod. And also, if you have any fun Greek life stories and want to share them with us, please email them to abcsofgreek at gmail.com and we might just share them on the podcast. See you all soon. <laughs>